Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Uh, yeah, let's not bury the lead. The stock market is is in the tank big time. Dow Jones Industrials down 840 points. That's almost a 3% drop. The NASDAQ down 272 points. That's a 2.37% drop. Um, nothing, nothing particular is causing that. There's two things going on. First of all, uh, and we'll talk about this later. Later on, it's the uh, that d- those dreaded two words, pandemic fatigue, um, and and we focus on Wisconsin and the rising number of COVID cases. But Wisconsin is not unique. You know, it's it's all a matter of degrees. You you have, you know, COVID is just running rampant all across the country, and for that matter, all across the world. It, it's not what, what's going on in Milwaukee or Brown County or La Crosse is not unique to what's going on again. Maybe you can argue by a, by a, by shades, but the bottom line is COVID is running rampant, not just across the country, but pretty much across the world. And there's really, I understand people can talk about plans and this or that or the other thing, but the truth of the matter is, I think we're in this for the duration, at least until you, you get a vaccine and maybe then for a while after that. So that's, I think, Pandemic fatigue is kicking in, and that's playing on the stock market. And the fact that uh, our politicians, Republicans, Democrats, have not been able to get together on a, a stimulus, a second stimulus plan. And I admit that this is a little bit frustrating to me because it just shows the dysfunction of what goes on in Washington. Now, I, I, reasonable people can disagree about how much money needs to be spent on a second stimulus. But I think there is general agreement on some things. People, I think politicians agree that the airline industry and, and for this country to grow and thrive and business to survive, you, you need a you need an airline industry and the airline industry is, hem- is hemorrhaging money. So I think pretty much everybody agrees, okay, some, some stimulus money should go to the, the airlines. People, I think, agree that in one shape or another, some money should go to people who continue to be unemployed. I think there's also general agreement that maybe a second round of stimulus payments to individuals is appropriate. So everybody agrees on that. But the problem is where you go from there. Nancy Pelosi in the House of Representatives, believes that it is in her party's political interest not to come to any agreement at all. So she's got this huge wish list of, you know, trillions of dollars of spending that makes it unacceptable to the Republicans. So rather than getting together and saying, look, we agree that there 1.4 trillion, pick a number, 1.4 trillion dollars in spending to help the airlines out, to help uh, long-term unemployment, to help uh, American citizens, you know, pay their rent and stuff like that. We all agree on that stuff. Let's just do this to get the stuff into the hands of people that we all agree should have it. But you you can't get any sort of agreement at all. So, between pandemic fatigue, the the rise 
not just in the United States, but worldwide of COVID, and it's not going to change anything. And, of course, the the lack of stimulus, you see it taking out on the market now, and the market, again, down about 800-plus points. It, will it come back? Yeah, I imagine it's going to come back. This is not any sort of long-term fundamental. It's just that people... People are just worn out. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620, number of things over the weekend. But, um, man, one of the ones, if if you are a fan of pop culture, as I am, it's just, you know, could 2020 suck any worse? If you haven't heard it, uh, Jerry Jeff Walker, who I, I'm just a huge fan of Jerry Jeff Walker, Mr. Bojangles is probably his most famous song. It's not necessarily my favorite, though. Um, he passed away at the age of 78. It was not a COVID-related death. He'd been battling cancer for a while. But I'm thinking you know, Eddie Van Halen and John Prine and so many other performers passing away. Oh, my goodness. Let's get us to 2021. In addition, new tweet. Again, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, Joe Biden is, is of course, embracing Obamacare. And matter of fact, he's doing more than embrace it. He, he now, he wants to rename it. He wants it to be Biden Care. That's his proposal. And he is repeating the same thing that Barack Obama said. In other words, if you like your insurance, you can keep your insurance. Now, you will remember, after Obamacare was passed, even, even, left-leaning media sources like PolitiFact acknowledged that that was the big lie of the year because under Obamacare, the truth was lots of people could not keep their insurance. So Joe Biden is back again saying, hey, if you like your insurance, you can keep your insurance. Uh, my question is, where have we heard that before? If you want to see the story that talks about that in detail, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. All right, when we come back, as I explained, I was with some people yesterday they are transplants, former flatlanders. They moved up here from Illinois. They are still getting numerous contacts from clerk's offices in Illinois begging them to take ballots, not just for themselves, but also for their dead dog. I will explain. We will discuss. Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Look, I am not opposed to making it easier for people to vote, including, you know, the the mail-in voting. I don't share the concerns that some people have that this is going to be lead to vast examples of fraud. I, I, I don't. At the same time, though, if we are going to do all these things to make it easier for people to vote without having to appear in person and never having to check in with like a real person in the clerk's office, what you have to do is it seems to me that you do have to have some reasonable safeguards that are in place. I tell this story. So yesterday we had a couple friends over for a, a Packers party, not a large party or anything like that. But uh, two, one of the couples that we had over to the house um, has Recently, and I say recently, in the last year or so, relocated from Illinois to the, the West Bend area, and they, they were telling me this story. So they've they have been out of Illinois for at least the last year. All right, and permanent residents. This isn't like two residences. They've been out of the out of Illinois for at least the last year. They were telling me how they have had multiple, multiple mailings from the clerk's office in the community where they used to live in Illinois, sent to their Wisconsin address, asking them if they want ballots 
to vote in Illinois. Okay, they're coming to the Wisconsin address. So it, it's addressed to um, my, my friends. In addition, they were telling me they got one from the clerk's office that was addressed to their dog. Now, the dog has never been registered to vote. It gets even better. As it turns out, the dog had also died about three years ago. So they're living in West Bend. They do not live in Illinois. They have not lived in Illinois for at least a year. Illinois officials apparently must know that because they're sending these requests to a Wisconsin address. And somehow they think that even though the dead dog has never been registered, that they have that name somehow. And so they're getting mail asking whether the dog wants a ballot. Now, my friends are... I have no doubt that they would love to vote on multiple occasions. They're very politically active and they're very, have some very strong feelings. But of course, they're, they're, they're not going to do that. So all these different requests just kind of like go into the garbage. No, no, we're, we're not going to request these ballots that are out there. The scary thing about it is that if you have somebody who is less honest, if you have somebody who decides they want to manipulate this, you know that there is the potential for that to happen. Here's a um, here's a tweet. Jeff, our family also relocated about a year ago from Illinois to Wisconsin. We have received voting requests from Illinois several times. So they're, they're, they've, they've moved and they're still getting these requests. Hey, do you want an absentee ballot? Now, look, most people are honest. I get that. Most people aren't going to, and by the way, voting multiple times is, is a crime. So, I mean, most people aren't going to do that. Almost all people aren't going to do that. At the same time, at the same time, these are the types of things, even anecdotally, which I think give rise to concerns, which is why it is so important in Wisconsin. There's a lawsuit in front of the Supreme Court right now, which would essentially require the elections commissions to follow the law, which means purging the voting rolls of people. If you get in Wisconsin, for example, if you get a notification from the Department of Motor Vehicles, say that somebody has has switched the license of their car, that should create a presumption that the person has moved. Now, there might be, you know, excuses why people are doing that. Maybe you're still living in Milwaukee and you're trying to avoid having to pay the wheel tax. So you've registered your car out at your parents' house in Dodge County or whatever that doesn't have the wheel tax. So there's reasons why people could want to do that. But if you don't purge, at least attempt to purge the rolls by requiring the Elections Commission to reach out to people when you get indications that they've moved, you end up in a situation where people who haven't lived in a state for over a year are getting solicitations saying you want ballots. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I don't believe that this is rampant enough or widespread enough or that there are enough people who would really take advantage of this to alter the outcome of, of races. But it is troubling to me when you have institutions that are apparently... I, I guess so concerned about making sure people get ballots, a noble cause, that you're sending applications to people who haven't lived in the area for a long period of time. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. 
This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, my experience with the local WOW, that would be Washington, Waukesha, or Ozaki County community elections official, is fortunately quite the opposite. My daughter, who is currently living in Milwaukee, just registered there, but had previously registered an absentee ballot from my community, her previous address. She then tried returning it to that community, but it was rejected, and she received a call telling her that because she changed her registration to Milwaukee, she now has to vote there or re-register back in her original community. That's the right way that this should be handled. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, Jeff, I moved to Wisconsin from New York City two years ago. I received voting requests from New York City all the time. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, um, I don't believe this story. Well, all right. Well, you cannot believe the story, but that's it. Jeff, my local clerk indicated that if you vote via absentee ballot, you will continue to receive an absentee ballot until you either stop it or you fail to return a ballot for one year. This happens without any verification that you are still in the area or you are still alive. So someone who passes away could have their absentee ballots submitted by family members into perpetuity without ever verifying whether or not that person is still alive, which, again, it's one of the reasons why it underscores how important it is to have a regular purge of the voting rolls. And I do not, for the life of me, understand why this is something that some people uh, oppose. I mean, seriously, if if you if the local clerk's office gets a notification that somebody has moved, like a change of address um, with the postal system, or registering a car in a different county or something like that with a different address, that, to my mind, should create a presumption that the person has moved. Then what you do is you send out a postcard to that last known address saying, hey, you know, we've gotten this. It looks like you've moved. If you haven't, well, what's going to happen is you're going to be removed from the voting rolls unless you notify us that you, in fact, haven't moved. That is just common sense. And yet you have people fighting so hard about it. And by the way, in Wisconsin, we still have same-day registration. So if you show up at the polls on Election Day and it turns out that you are that unicorn whose name has been removed from the polls because... I don't know. You you registered a new address with the post office, or you've now you know sent a change of address to the DMV. Well, okay, if you're still living at your original address legitimately, you can still register same day at the polls. Why is that such a difficult thing? And why do so many people fight apparently so hard to keep people on rolls in places where they're probably not entitled to vote anymore? Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon. Well, yes, good afternoon. Can you hear me okay? I can. Go ahead. I I, I think I've got a problem with the word purge. Uh, I would rather, that sounds like, uh, that just sounds negative. I would rather uh, have um, the government uh, require an overt act by a citizen to remove their names. I don't want an automatic machine doing it. And in regard to your story, but, but nobody's going to but, but nobody's going to do that. I mean, if you require an overt act, nobody. nobody. Well, very few people. I mean, if you're that's the problem that people. Okay, you move, so you know you're. 
people are not going to take the time. They're going to change their driver's license with the DMV. They're going to notify the postal service that they've moved, but then they're going to also you know, call up their local clerk's office and say, we've moved. If you do that, a large chunk of people won't. That's why my argument would be the overt act indicating you've moved is is the change of address with the postal well, service. Uh, no, I think the overt act is for your friends to uh, reach out to the uh, to the clerk and say, we've moved. Thanks for uh, alerting us that we're still on the voting rolls for some reason, and, and we'll take care of it. But it, it's not a difficult thing. I think you're not giving people credit for actually being involved in their lives. Well, Jeff, I, I think I think you're being overly optimistic. I mean, right now in Wisconsin, there are, they estimate there's 130,000 people that are on, on the rolls. Now, I'm not saying those people are all voting, but 130,000 people who are on the rolls whose, there, there's been indications indicating that they've moved. Whether it's again that the change of residence, the change of location and address listed with the postal service, or registering cars in different locations, and I understand it, that doesn't mean all 130,000 of them have moved, and it doesn't mean that they're all going to vote. I, I understand all that, but you have to have some way of updating the voter rolls. What would you do, for example, with somebody who dies? I mean, they're not capable of an overt act. You're dead. You're not going to be able to locate, notify the clerk's office that you're, you're dead. Somehow, they, they have to be removed from the rolls instead of simply having, like I say, if they voted absentee in the past, simply having absentee ballots continue to come to the home. You have to update and modify voters' rolls at some point. Jeff, I moved to Nina in April. I continue to get voting information from Lake County like others that have moved. So I understand people don't want to think this is going on. And by the way, again, most people aren't going to commit crimes. They're, they're not going to vote two or three or four times. But if we're going to encourage absentee voting, if we're going to encourage by the mail voting, which I'm all okay with, don't we also have to make sure that the people who are getting the ballots are entitled to it? And doesn't that mean we also have to make sure that the rolls are accurate? And the answer to that should be, of course it does. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. This was the week that organizers of the effort to recall Governor Tony Evers, that they had to turn in about 668,000 valid signatures in order to start the recall process. When this started two months ago, I sat right in this very chair and I said, I, I just don't see that this happening. And uh, today, recall organizers have said that, that they, they don't have 668,000 signatures. They're not saying how many signatures they have, but they said they do not, they do not have enough. And so the, the recall effort against Tony Evers has, has officially fizzled. Now, what the recall effort did was it allowed, since there was the recall pending, it allowed Tony Evers to raise unlimited amounts of money to fight the recall. And so that resulted in essentially some freebie anti-Republican ads that Evers has been running um, ostensibly to fight the recall. So I was having a discussion with somebody today. The, the recall effort failed. And I guess there's two conclusions that you can draw. One is Tony Evers is incredibly popular and 
that this is that there who would recall such a popular governor. The other alternative is that, well, first of all, there was not enough of an organization to to recall somebody on a statewide basis requires an incredible amount of organization. When the recall against Scott Walker was launched in the aftermath of Act 10, you had many, many major unions, both inside Wisconsin and outside Wisconsin, who put in a ton of money trying to organize and fund the recall effort. You had the Democratic Party, which got behind the recall effort 100% and put a ton of money into that. So you had this huge organizations that was out there, and you had all these special interest groups, and together they were able to get enough signatures to get the recall started. Now, it ultimately failed, but, you know, this this was a true grassroots organization. That That's fine, but it was, you could argue, always doomed without – thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars of effort to put in to try to, you know, organize the thing and and fund it. In addition, the other problem that you could say that recall organizers had is something that I have been voicing over the course of the last 60 days. And that is that, you know, recalls should only be reserved for situations where it's not disagreements on, on policy. It's, um, Issues of, say, misfeasance or malfeasance. The Milwaukee County pension scandal, and this this takes us back to like 2001, 2002 in, in that area. The Milwaukee County pension scandal, to me, indicated a situation where you had elected officials, either through misfeasance or malfeasance, who set up a system that absolutely screwed over the taxpayer and continues to hurt the taxpayer for the last 20 years while potentially enriching themselves beyond the dreams of avarice. That, to me, was an appropriate situation for a recall. And you you saw a lot of grassroots support behind it. But that was targeted at, hey, th- this, it, it's not that we, we disagree with you on this, this particular political issue or it's whatever. It's you have done something which, at least in the opinion of lots of people, and again, people associated with that, that issue said, well, we had no idea that it was going to make us wealthy or potentially make us wealthy. But uh, again, to me, that's misfeasance or malfeasance. It's not a policy matter. Now, I understand there's all sorts of criticisms that you can have from Tony Evers on on policy. You can disagree with the way he's handled the pandemic. You can disagree with the way that he's handled um, the, the riots and Kenosha and the response. There's all sorts of issues that you have out there, but those are policy matters. And that's why I say repeatedly on this program that elections have consequences. And, you know, if you don't like the policy matters that a politician has, what you do is that you you work, and then when that politician, he or she, comes up for re-election, you organize and you get them voted out. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's my premise that the the recall against Evers did not fail because, oh, my gosh, why would anybody want to recall Tony Evers? He's so popular, you know, he's going to coast to re-election in two years. That's, I think, if people interpret it that way, they're wrong. First of all, 
There wasn't a lot of organization. That's not the fault of the organizers, but they, they didn't have the moneyed support behind them. Secondly, we're in the middle of an election season right now where all the air that's going into the election campaigns from the Republican side, at least, it, it's in trying to win Senate seats. It's trying to win House seats, and it's trying to carry Wisconsin for President Trump. And, and third, I, I just think just on principle, there were a lot of people out there who took the same position now as, as 10 years ago, and that is that recalls are not appropriate because you disagree with policy. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and by the way, this just because they failed to get the signatures doesn't necessarily mean that the effort was a failure. Yeah, it's not enough it's not enough names to start a recall process that I think would have failed anyways. But those organizers, I mean, they've got lists. Now, I don't they didn't get 668,000, but maybe they've got 100,000, maybe they've got 200,000, maybe they got 300,000 names of people who are unhappy and would have supported a recall. That's a powerful starting base moving forward when Evers is up for re-election two years from now. But why, in your opinion, did the recall effort fail? I unfortunately think it was doomed all along. 855-616-1620. Is it because Evers is so popular or is it because just this was not the right time and place? We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think election fatigue plays a large role in the failure of the recall effort. I think that's I think that's true, too. I mean, you've got a presidential race right now, which is sucking all the air out of of all the different races that are out there. You've got, for example, in this case, the Republican Party concentrate on trying, I was saying in Wisconsin, trying to win Wisconsin for President Trump and trying to reelect state senators and reelect uh, assembly people. It, it's just the, the recall was kind of a, a sideshow, um, rightly or wrongly. I think that's the factor. Um, Jeff, you misspoke. Evers can only raise additional unlimited funds once the recall is enacted. The signatures weren't reached, so he doesn't have the ability to defend himself since there's no recall. No, that that's that's wrong. Um, the um, there's a weird exception to in Wisconsin law. State law allows individuals to donate no more than X amount of money. I think the limit is $10,000 to a, a gubernatorial candidate during a, a, a regular term. Once the recall election, once the petition drive starts to the day the state authorizes an election, the individual cap on donations is removed. So it, it's a freebie to go out and to raise a, a bunch of money. No, it's that's that's the case. And that's why, you know, you, you saw, I think, the Evers campaign took advantage of that to raise some money that they then in turn used to um, run some of the anti-Republican ads they had. 855-616-1620. Roger in Waukesha. Hi, Roger. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Enjoy your, your show Thank a you, lot. Sir. I must say that uh, you and my opinion, though, is that you and every other talk show host has missed the point on this. This was never going to succeed. What it gave us all, a few of us, maybe more than, than what we think, an avenue to let viewers know that a little more pressure. Let's you know, know that this is not right what you're doing. And it's so wrong that you are uh, causing us to want to take drastic action. And I can only tell you that I signed the petition um, and 
Um, I understand all everything that has to do with, with uh, why, why it shouldn't have been called, but we got to keep the pressure up because mm-hmm. the legislature has done nothing as far as getting their side out there. It's only Tony Evers, Tony Evers. Right. So, Roger, let me I, ask you, uh, let me, I, I, and I appreciate it. Look, and sure. I, I, like, like I say, I mean, I, I think they're, you know, the, the organizers of the recall effort, they, they've got a powerful thing moving forward. They got a list of however many names, and I'm sure there's a lot of names. There might not be 700,000, but there's a lot of names out there. These are people right. who are dissatisfied. So they're, they're, they're a player two years from now. But to your first point, you said, hey, we wanted to send a message. We wanted to convince Tony Evers that there's people out here that are unhappy with him. How do you think he really perceives this? Is it that, or is it, hey, there were just a handful of these yahoos who were trying to toss me out, and they failed. Let's pop a champagne cork. How do you think Evers perceives this? Well, Evers is not the sharpest knife in the drawer, so he probably doesn't think much about it. But you know what? There are a lot of Democratic legislators in the state of Wisconsin that will see this and know that, hey, people do care about the wrongs that are being done by this governor mm-hmm. and that those are people that are, are, are putting forth uh, their uh, their right. tone to uh, oppose Tony Evers. Right. No, thanks. So, well, that, that could that. be. I mean, th- thanks to call. I mean, the, the whole idea of sending a message. And and again, I look, I I, I, I support I love it when citizens get involved. I mean, I, I think. You know, that's that, that's that's great. And recalls are the ultimate ep- exercise in democracy. At the same time, I, I think if you're going to undertake them, you, you have to realize the risk. Now, here's a text. Jeff, a big reason for the success of the aim at recall, that's the pension scandal stuff, was the media. Um, um, I was one of the people, I'm getting a note from one of the spokespeople for Citizens for Responsible Government saying they begged me daily for interviews. You, know, you talked about it. Charlie Sykes talked about it almost every day, came to the rallies. There's been almost no coverage from anyone. Yeah, I mean, it's a different, it's a different dynamic. It, it's a different time. And I, I think you could make an argument that if you were going to try to launch a recall, launching it in the middle of a presidential campaign in one of you know, one of the, the states that is going to be the determining factor as to who wins the presidential election, you really couldn't have come up with, with perhaps a worst time to, you know, end up doing it. Again, I mean, that's not a criticism of the organizers. Like I say, if if you know somebody who's considering running against Tony Evers, you know, two years from now, um, the, those lists that, that the organizers have achieved, they, they got a lot of names on there of people who are unhappy. Um Jeff, uh, the recall was started mostly because of his reaction and total dropping of the ball in Kenosha. The news cycle so fast that the rest of the state really didn't know the truth of this. Uh, you know, it, it is kind of that 24-7 news type of stuff that's out there as well. Um, also, and I, again, I, I go back to this. I think one of the lessons that the Democrats learned in the effort to try to recall Scott Walker was the fact that that people don't like recalls because they, they think elections matter. That's one of the reasons why when in 2012 you had essentially a rerun of the 2010 election, you know, Tom Barrett, the Milwaukee mayor, ran against Walker in 2010, lost. Then when he ran again, he lost by a bigger margin in 2012 in the recall election because I, I think in part – not that people were necessarily thrilled with Act 10, although it did serve to mobilize Walker's conservative base. But also, I just think there were a lot of people who thought, you know, this is just it's this is not what recall should be about. Let's talk to uh, Jim in Heartland. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. 
I was listening um, before when you were talking about some of the reasons why the recall had failed. Right. And I think there's one other thing we might look at, too, is I think uh, in general, uh, people are pretty much uh, fed up with a lot of the inaction um, as far as uh, the, the Senate goes. Um, and I'm, I'm saying the Republican Party, especially with Boston and uh, Fitzgerald, it seems like everything that Evers does, whether it's right or wrong, they're always blocking it. And I don't see any plan. So now the plan is, well, let's get rid of the governor. Mm-hmm. Well, well, where's the plan after that then? Yeah, I, no, I, I, maybe. I I'm yeah. not seeing it. Yeah, no, thanks to Jim. Maybe. maybe. I mean, I don't I don't know. I, I just think it's a daunting organizational thing. I, you know, when you're talking about soliciting 670,000 signatures and 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 god bless i, I mean the, these grassroots efforts and i mean i i saw you know people standing along the roadways in the the tents you know in in the cold weather you know in, in early october and people you know coming up and signing the signatures so and god bless the people that are out there doing it i i mean i, I get it but it's it it's tough to do that unless you have like like I say, and unless you have the media that's really on your side and, and pushing it, unless you have uh, again the, the Walker recall, you, you had you had unions locally and nationally pouring tons of money into organizing efforts, and you had organizers that were coming in from all over the country, and you had the Democratic Party, which was not thrilled with getting involved in the first place, but they, they ended up getting on board. You put all that stuff together. And, and th- that's the type of organization you need. And that's taking nothing away from the organizers who, who took a shot at it. But I guess it's no surprise to me that it, it did not work out. That doesn't – anybody that reads that, though, I think is an indicator that, oh, you know, the recall effort fizzled, so Tony Evers is incredibly popular and he's going to coast to reelection two years from now. I think that's a misreading of the situation. Matter of fact, I think you can make an argument that he, he might be – he might have been stronger – if you had a recall election next year and uh, instead, matter of fact, did you see there's already people that are announcing candidacies for office? There's this guy um, up in Appleton who who runs for statewide office like every two or three years. He's already announced that he, he's going to be challenging Ron Johnson. Can't we have a moratorium? I think there should almost be a moratorium saying, you know, let, let's get through one election cycle before somebody announces that they're going to be running in a different election cycle. This is Jeff Wagner, back with lots more. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One final thought on our conversation about the recall. A number of people texting and saying that they one of the reasons why they didn't sign the recall petition is because it becomes a it becomes a public record once the signatures are filed. Now, if, if they're never filed, it, it, it's not a public record. But um, so you, you can go back. You can still go back and you can look at the Walker recall and you can see who, who ended up signing it. And candidly, I know there was at least one judge in Ozaki County that his decision to sign the Walker recall papers caught, cost him his job. So, you know, politically. So there's always those risks that are associated with it. OK, let us switch gears as we've been talking about the stock market is in the dumps big time today. Dow is down 841 points right now, which is almost a 3% decrease. The NASDAQ down 253 points. That's like a 2.2% decrease. It's not like there's any one thing that suddenly happened today. It's not like the bottom fell out, but there's really two factors. One is 
it's now very, very clear that you're not going to get any sort of stimulus action until after the election and maybe not even until like like January, because unfortunately, the Republicans and the Democrats couldn't come together and say, look, we we might not agree on on a three million dollar stimulus or a two or two trillion dollar stimulus. But, you know, we, we all agree that at least one trillion dollars, we agree that we should be sending monies to the airlines to keep the planes flying. We agree that. um we should provide, you know, some measure of of assistance to people who've been long term unemployed. All those things they could easily agree on one trillion dollars in spending. Republicans, Democrats, etc. But the Democrats want two whatever trillion, and the Republicans aren't willing to give them their wish list. So you don't get the one trillion that everybody would agree on. So you've got the whole stimulus thing that's driving the markets down. And then the other thing is just it's it's pandemic fatigue. Pure and simple, as people are coming to the realization that fall is coming on, fall is here, winter is coming on, and that COVID-19, and it doesn't matter whether Donald Trump is the president, it doesn't matter whether Joe Biden is the president, it doesn't matter whether the Democrats have 51 seats in the Senate or not, the truth is, COVID-19 isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And, and that's, you know, Joe Biden can talk about his plan. Donald Trump could talk about how we're rounding the corner. The truth of the matter is this this pandemic is going to be with us for the next, you know, several months. And uh, the Surgeon General, he's out today saying, look, I, I don't think this is going to that best case scenario is, is maybe maybe spring of next year. But even then, that depends on on a. It depends on a vaccine getting out there and, first of all, a safe vaccine, and then, secondly, uh, enough doses so that it can be distributed to people. And keep in mind, the first people that are going to get it are the people who are the first-line responders and health people and, you know, people in, uh, like, the nursing homes and then people, like, over the age of 60 or whatever. So it, it's it's a big challenge. And until then, the reality is we're going to be dealing with, with COVID. Let me... Let me share a story that appears on the front page of the Wall Street Journal today, just just portions of it, and then we're going to react to it. The headline, Pandemic Fatigue is Real, and It's Spreading. Now, by the way, as I said earlier in the show, we, we talk a lot about Wisconsin because we're, we're focused on the Wisconsin numbers and all that, and that's appropriate. But the, the truth is we are unfortunately not unique when it comes to the, the spread of COVID. You know, it's what 38 states are seeing the numbers, you know, go up. And you can argue, okay, we're well, up a little more here or up a little less there. But it's it's an ongoing situation all across the country. And it's an ongoing situation all across the world. So here's the story. Pandemic fatigue is real and it's spreading. Collective exhaustion with coronavirus restrictions has emerged as a formidable adversary for governments. From the corridors of Washington to the cobblestones of Paris, the coronavirus is roaring back and the authorities are ramping up restrictions again. This time around, however, everyone is tired. Hospital staff worldwide are demoralized after seven months of virus-fighting triage. The wartime rhetoric that world leaders initially used to rally support is gone. Family members who willingly sealed themselves off during spring lockdowns are suddenly finding it hard to resist the urge to reunite. 
Zoe Sharp, a 43-year-old human resources leader in Washington, D.C., has been the stringent has been stringent with her family throughout the pandemic, sanitizing elevator buttons, airing out packages, and microwaving the newspaper. Her four-year-old son, Hank, even created a no-cuddle list to protect family members who are more vulnerable to the virus, like his grandparents. A week ago, however, something snapped. Ms. Sharp booked a trip to visit her father-in-law in Memphis, Tennessee, replete with a stop at a local theme park. Grandpa is now off the no-cuddle list. I need something to look forward to, Ms. Sharp says, adding that her children want to see their grandfather. They're worried about him, and they talk to him a lot. The collective exhaustion, known as pandemic fatigue, has emerged as a formidable adversary for governments that are counting on a high degree of public cooperation with the latest rounds of restrictions to flatten the infection curve. Too much pandemic fatigue, authorities say, can fuel a vicious cycle. A tired public tends to let its guard down, triggering more infections and restrictions that in turn compound the fatigue. This is part of what is driving the recent spate of policy reversals. Bars and cafes that reopened after the spring lockdown are suddenly off limits again. Workers who were told to return to their offices are now being able to work from home again. In France, authorities have recently halved the length of quarantines to one week, believing it would boost compliance. Um, it's a matter of balance. To be able to enforce a new rule, we need to make sure first people will accept it. And then it goes on to talk about how, you know, there, there's some things, the social distancing, the hand washing, even wearing masks, that, that ends up, you know, people will, will try to do that. They might not be as vigilant as they were six months ago, but they'll try to do that. But when it comes to the, you know, we're not going to socialize, we're going to stay home, we're going to lock ourselves up, it's that people just, just aren't doing that. They're tired of this, and that is the balance. That's the problem that public officials face especially when you know you're looking at hey look it's it's the cold and flu season people are moving inside the numbers are going up it's it's pandemic fatigue my question to you is is this real or is this just an excuse from people who i don't know are irresponsible or don't care about themselves or don't care about others or is pandemic fatigue real our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I think it is. And I think that's why, moving forward, elected officials, health officials, need to recognize that you can have all the guidelines you want, but it's got to be stuff that people will be willing to follow. Otherwise, you're, you're just talking and you're not coming in. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you have pandemic fatigue? Do you know others with pandemic fatigue? And how do we get past it? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Big story in the Wall Street Journal today. And and again, we we tend to see things in terms of Wisconsin. But pandemic fatigue, what's going on in Wisconsin with COVID-19 is not unique. It's going on all across the country. It's going on all across the world. And 
most elected officials and most health officials that they, they, they don't have answers. I mean, yeah, and I mean, they give you suggestions that are good suggestions: social distance, wash your hands, wear, wear masks. That reduces the the spread. But at, at the end of the day, there, there's only so much you can tell people. And if pandemic fatigue sets in, they're just all about living their own lives. Jeff, there is fatigue out there. Trying to balance all the events, attitudes, beliefs, and keep perspective has been extremely difficult this year. Jeff, pandemic fatigue is definitely real. I'm dreading winter. Golf and outside gatherings make it feel doable. Looking ahead to winter feels so disturbing. Um, yeah, I, I think there's there's a huge element of that. Jeff, how do we get past this? Those who are susceptible to illness should stay home. Those willing to resume life should do so. Um, and then goes on to compare this to flu. Um, and again, the, these are the issues that are there. Jeff, fat, panic, it, fatigue is definitely out there. There's no question about it. Jeff, it took about three days in March for me to have pandemic fatigue. I've been living my life as normal as possible ever since. I have a close circle of friends that have done the same. It's weird. Um, we're all still alive and getting ready for a Halloween party. Jeff, I've had pandemic fatigue since day two of this. Jeff, pandemic fatigue, political fatigue, anger, divisiveness, it's all been a bit much. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Chris in Sussex. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Really appreciate the program. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening. Hey, I, you know, it, I think you're right on, and, and I think that um, part of the problem is just the information that we receive. And, you know, it's like anything political now, right? You, you Some want to put their hopes on containment, not doing anything, and there's a cure. Um, but when this week I happened to talk to my doctor, and, and he said, you know, this virus is a lot like the flu virus, where they're seeing the antibodies in the blood only last for three months. Mm-hmm. So if you're a, an avid blood donor, you can actually get that tested. They'll test it for free now when you donate blood. Um, I just did it through Versity uh, as one. American Red Cross will do it as well. Um, but if that only lasts for three months and it mimics the flu and the flu vaccine, which, by the way, is only good for six months, mm-hmm. which is why they recommend October to right. get the flu shot, to get through the, the busiest season. So what is our hope at a cure or back to normal? If it's 50% effective, are we good with only 50% of the people dying? Mm-hmm. And and the statistics that come out, it is, is the elderly. There is definitely a group of individuals, mm-hmm. right? That and, and I have a friend that had a hard time with it and has high blood pressure and was overweight. Um, I have another friend that is very concerned about it because he's African-American, has high blood pressure and heart disease. Right. And I I don't mean to minimize those because we know it's real. And, you know, but can we live in a society where you can have different rules for different folks based on their needs, their medical needs? Well, I mean, Chris, I think you're you're at least moving forward in the short term. You're almost going to have to have that because when there is a vaccine, and I appreciate what you're saying about the vaccine might not be the silver bullet, that that vaccine 
is going to be distributed, um, there, there's going to be a pecking order as to who gets it. And the the, 20, the healthy 25 year old, my guess is going to be way down on the bottom unless they're unless they're in the medical field or something. It, it's going to go to the it's going to go to the people like you're talking about. You know, your your friends who are in those high risk categories. Well, and, and look at the colleges, right? So, you know, coincidentally, kids go back to school, colleges are open, um, we start testing more college students, and we hear about all the positive cases. But what we don't hear is, you know, are are they really at risk for something severe or more right. than a cold? Yeah. My neighbor's kid goes to Stout. He got sent home for two weeks. He had a scratchy throat. Um, again, if 95% of the of the cases are effective that way, there's still 5% that it's real and we have to watch out for that portion of the population. But you, do you stop everyone from doing everything to do that? Well, no, I mean, and thanks for calling. I mean, moving forward, I, I mean, I, I look, I don't have a crystal ball. Somebody I said this to somebody asked me the other day about something political in 2022. And I said, man, I, I, my, I, I don't know what the world's going to look like two months from now, much like what's what the Wisconsin political landscape is going to look like two years from now. I, I, just, I just don't know. But I, I do think, to your point, I, I think as you move forward and we figure out how to try to live with with the virus, and, and we're going to have to try to live with the virus. And I'm, I'm sorry, I know that there's some people who just want to shut down the world. That that's people will not put up with that. That that's not going to happen. That's not to say that you need to open up everything and turn it into some just like giant party. There, there's there's got to be this sort of balancing that's there. But to your point, I think you're right. I think moving forward. This does change the way, uh, just like just like nine eleven changed the way you fly on airlines. I, I think I think COVID moving forward has changed the way that that we're going to interact, and, and and maybe that means you're not going into a nursing home again, for example, unless you're wearing a mask. Maybe that's what that means. Maybe you know for. You know, air travel, just just get used to putting on those masks nowadays. I mean, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but I, I do think it's going to have long-range effects as we figure out how to live with this. Marcus on the north side. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, great Marcus. show as usual. Thank you. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, here's the consensus. People are really burnt out from this situation because if you look at the misinformation from what Trump is giving out and Pence basically considering himself an essential worker, going back to work, Trump saying basically, you get it, you're immune, look, I'm good to go. Then you got the issue with Dr. Fauci. Then you hear the death bell every day as far as how many COVID cases. The bottom line is this, people are fed up with it. So what you're looking at with this, so even when the vaccine comes out, right, and you're saying that certain essential people get it first, the, the, the vast majority of uh, Hispanic, African-Americans or other cultures are not going to take this vaccine. They, it, I'm in that group as well. I could care less about Johnson & Johnson having the cure for it. They got their own problems with lawsuits that they have. So I don't have a problem with uh, whoever takes the vaccine first because, first of all, we need to know what's in it. What are the side effects of it? Because before you take that that situation in your body you need to know what's in this deal because you will have some side effects there will be some deaths associated with and you and there's no assurance of that so, so marcus, let me ask you this when do you expect marcus when do you think let's say just for the sake of argument let's say next march 
you know, six months from now, um, the FDA approves a vaccine. And, and let's say just for the sake of argument that, you know, it, it, it is made available to you. How long do you think after it hits the market it will be before you would consider getting it, if ever? I would wait till the fall of that year. I would okay. wait till the fall. I would, I would, first of all, I would want to read the ingredients. You know how you buy something at a store, you read the ingredients. First of all, I want to know what's in it. And then I still want to know, just like Kamala Harris said, I want to know what, what's, what's been the clinical trials of it. So I would say for me, it would be more towards the end of next year mm-hmm. uh, to see what, what are the side effects and who's been affected by that. But as far as the vast majority of people, they're, they're not going to take this vaccine right away. So whoever produces it, comes out with it, uh, don't worry. The lines are not going to be super long for that deal. I don't well, know. I greatly appreciate you. Well, thanks to the call, you? Marcus. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm kind of up against the clock. I, um, I, look, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. And the reason I talk about this is because I, I think we need to have a, a different uh, approach. I, I think for, for government leaders who think, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to try to, our, our response is we're going to try to shut down our way out of, of COVID. That, that, that's just, that's just not working anymore. I think, you know, and, you, and again, you can call people selfish. You can say, okay, this is just outrageous. But the truth of the matter is, I, I think people, you know, people did that six months ago. And the idea of going back and trying to force businesses to close, people aren't going to put up with, with that. So you have to move to other things, which to me, it, it's it's contact tracing. To me, it's more testing. To me, it might even be forced isolation of people who are exposed and or who have it. You know, that that's, I think, the route that you've got to go. But the truth of the matter is that this is going to be a long haul. And it doesn't matter whether it's Donald Trump and Mike Pence or Biden, Harris or, or whatever. Um, we're 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 in it. If you got if you've got pandemic fatigue now, just hang on, because I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It's one thirty-two. so very glad to have you with us. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here she is, Melissa Barkley. Thank you, Jeff. We are keeping our eye on the stock market this afternoon as it plunges due to a surge in coronavirus or corona or COVID-19 cases across the U.S. and the lack of progress on a stimulus bill getting signed by or before Election Day. Here's a WTMJ Drake & Associates market update. The Dow is down right now 729 points to 27,606. NASDAQ is down 220 seven points to 11,320 and the S&P 500 down 72 points to 3,393. Meanwhile, deaths per day from the coronavirus in the U.S. are on the rise again, just as health experts had feared. Average deaths per day across the country rose 10% over the last two weeks. That's according to data from John Hopkins University. Wisconsin saw over 3,600 new cases of COVID-19 and eight more deaths on Sunday. The Senate is set to confirm Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. The confirmation vote is expected this evening. Barrett would be President Trump's third Supreme Court justice. And Badgers quarterback Graham Mertz has tested positive for COVID-19. The Journal Sentinel says if Mertz tests positive again, then he will have to sit for three games out, sit out for three games per Big Ten protocol. 
WTMJ Pella, WI.com, time saver traffic. No major delays out there right now. That's great news. 94 outbound Marquette Interchange to the zoo. You're at seven minutes. Touch the brakes. Zoo to Highway 16. One extra. 11 minutes total right there. 4145 southbound Highway Q to the zoo. Just 14 minutes. We're not seeing any delays. Good Hope Road to the zoo. 10 minutes. And 94 southbound Marquette to Layton Avenue. Just a seven-minute ride. WTMJ five-day forecast. Going to be mostly cloudy and cool for the rest of your day. A high for around 40. For tonight, partly cloudy. Might see some patchy frost. A low 30 by the lake, 24 inland. For tomorrow, mostly sunny, cool day. High 43. Wednesday, sunshine and a little bit warmer. A high 52. Thursday, mostly cloudy. High 50. Friday, sunshine. High 50. Right now in Caledonia, it is 37. Germantown, 35. And in Milwaukee, we're at 36 degrees. I'm Melissa Barclay, News Radio, WTMJ. So, Melissa, do you know anybody who's come down with COVID-19? I have known one person. Right. Um, just immediately in the Milwaukee area. Just right. one. Yeah. And any long-term, repro- any long-term no. problems? The only thing she had was loss of taste. Yeah, that, that, it's kind of interesting. We were just, the last conversation we were having was about yeah. pandemic fatigue and how people re- react to it. And, and of course, COVID-19 is real. And the problem is it's going to be with us for months and months. And I, I guess, you know, the, and I think what happens sometimes is the, the more elected officials say, okay, we're, we're going to try to close stuff down and, and do this and do that. Sometimes I think it just kind of becomes white noise. And I'm not saying it's, it's mm-hmm. good. It's just I think that's the problem the longer it lasts. And it's compounded. I, if you would have asked me two months ago if I knew anybody that had COVID, yeah. my answer would have been no. Now I know a number of people who have probably at least a, a dozen, you know, and and in all the cases, and these are including people that are in some of those at-risk groups, mm-hmm. in, in, in all the cases, knock on wood, everybody I know yeah. got it recovered me too nobody was and and again i understand there's really bad outcomes Mm. that are out there but i think one of the problems that people have as as you know people oh you know you know bill and frankie you know had this and they you know they were sick for a day and they got over it and the the more i think people hear that the more maybe people think it's not a big deal when in truth in fact for some people it can be a big deal yeah and you really have to gauge it per what conditions you have as well it can be very high risk for someone that maybe is overweight or has um you know a predisposed condition yeah Sure. No, it's um, it, it's just it is. It's one of those mm-hmm. sort of things. And I, and again, you you're, you're trying to come up with. An- people say, well, what what is what is the answer? And if you, my premise is, you just, you can't shut your way down out of this. I just don't think people accept that. So my answer is, well, it, it's testing and it's contact tracing and it might be forced isolation of people who've been exposed or whatever. Um, but but who knows? And going through all the protocols and learning, I think unfortunately we're learning to live with it the safest way we possibly can, and that's washing your hands, wear a mask, and social distance. Well, right, smart, yeah. just smart, ordinary stuff yeah. that I think you should probably be doing otherwise. I do think the interesting thing too, moving forward, is going to be how how this changes the world going forward. Just like like nine eleven changed the way we mm-hmm. fly on planes. It just it just did, and and I think COVID nineteen, this worldwide thing, has changed. Will I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but it, it's definitely going to be more hand washing. It's going to be, I think, less personal contact. It's going to be maybe, you know, wearing masks on airplanes or things like that for forever. Maybe. Yeah. Greeting people in a different way. I know I elbow bump kind of from a distance. <laughs> you know, I don't do the handshake anymore. I mean, I think also we're seeing how it's making a huge difference in the way people work. I mean, I think from here on out, we'll still see more people working from home. I think that's something 
that's likely here to stay, not in, you know, 100 percent, but, you know, a part of the workforce will be more apt to work from home. Yeah, I think. Oh, absolutely. I was talking to somebody yesterday about downtown, you know, uh, office buildings. You know, I mean, what's it, it? you know, even if the even if companies decide that we're going to start bringing people back, do you, do you need three floors in some downtown office building? And the answer is probably no. You know, I look back. We look back at the beginning of this, and we see all the technology that we're now using on a daily basis that we never used before, and how that's changed our lives. Like Zoom, I never did Zoom before before the pandemic. I mean, I did FaceTime maybe a couple of times a year, but I didn't do Zoom. I didn't do you know Microsoft things, and it was you know it's it's interesting how it's definitely changed our lives and the way we work yeah and 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 again what what is it going to be for downtown areas that mm-hmm. all, all all the downtown businesses the restaurants the shops all these things that exist to serve to service like office workers that are coming downtown well okay if office workers aren't coming downtown you don't need those businesses it's going to be interesting moving forward okay when we come back do you fall for this trick we will discuss i will explain this is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. It was snowing this morning. Gru, was it snowing where you lived? Where you live? Yeah, I got up actually early. I, I usually get up around 6 a.m. and didn't see any snow. And then right when the, the sun got up, I saw that the entire area was blanketed, and I I wasn't happy. <laughs> no, it was, it was kind of like my uh, – so Sasha gets me up, and so you know, about, I, I'd say you know, 6.30 or so. And, you know, she's like, okay, Dad, time to go out. And then, then I'm up, and then she goes back to sleep. That That's that that's kind of the, the deal. But we're we're out there walking, and it's just kind of like – Huh, what's that? Is it raining? No, no, it's we're getting a little bit of snow there. Nothing sticking on the ground or anything, but yeah. It was gone maybe an hour or two later, but, but it was but, here in the first place. And my that's, bad feelings were not gone. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that that's it. Well, well, welcome to October. Well, I mean, remember last year, we had around here 6 or 7 inches on Halloween. I mean, that, that you had that big Halloween snowstorm and stuff and eh, yeah, well, wait, nothing you can do about it. All right. I am intrigued by by this. There's a story that caught my attention. This is, we're not talking COVID right now. We're not talking politics. More of that coming up in the two o'clock hour of the program. But it it was something, and I wonder how often we fall for this. And and by by fall for it, it's, does does this work? Do you ever notice when you're in the store, there is an item, and oftentimes the the item is not going to be priced at $3. It's going to be priced at 2.99 because 2.99 sounds less than $3. And I understand it's a penny less than $3, but from the perspective of gee, one item is you know, okay, I I'm very happy I've got two brands of toothpaste. And the toothpaste I, I, I like Crest. I like Colgate. The Colgate is $3.99, the Crest is $4. Right. People. I mean, the thinking is at three ninety nine, people will buy the Colgate instead of the Crest because, well, it's cheaper when the truth, in fact, it, it's it's a penny cheaper. So, yes, I, I understand it's technically cheaper, but it's not enough. that's going to make any difference in your life. They call this the ninety nine cent trick. 
That's the way it's referred to. There's a big piece in the Wall Street Journal about this today. Here, let me just read you the first paragraph. Go to any grocery store and you'll see examples of what behavioral pricing researchers. How's that? Behavioral pricing researchers. You study this in college. Um, refer to as the left digit bias. When an item is priced at $2.99, the idea is that consumers will think of it as $2. That's because the mind compares the leftmost digits before it can round up the numbers. People look left first. It's a common marketing strategy that every consumer will recognize. The question is whether it works, and then there's some new research dealing with this. So the idea is, you know, since we read left to right, the idea is when you go to the store and you're looking at that tube of toothpaste, and if you see four, you're going to be thinking it's it's four bucks and whatever, and, and that's what's going to stick in your mind, whereas if you're looking and you see three, you're going to think, oh, this is three as opposed to four. It's a buck cheaper, even though it's really three ninety nine. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am intrigued by this phenomena because my question is, do you believe it works? Think about you know your life. If you're there and you're looking to price stuff out, do you think you're more likely to buy something? That's $3.99 versus a corresponding similar sort of product that's got that that $4 in in front of it, even though it might only be $4.05. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, You know, I, I've never thought about this clinically, but, you know, it, it obviously... I think it does, in fact, work, and I've got a theory as to when it works most. 855-616-1620, do you have left-digit bias? And, you know, do you get sucked into the 99-cent trick? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Have you ever wondered when you go into the store and you, you see an item and it's it's a dollar ninety nine? Why it's priced at a dollar ninety nine instead of two dollars? Well, it's because there, there's this whole science that's developed that says because of what we call lake, um, what we call la- left digit bias, that we read left to right. The idea is that it, it's that first number that matters. So if you look at something and you see the dollar. You don't process the dollar ninety nine. You process the dollar. So a dollar, you see that first, and then you look at another jar of peanut butter or a tube of toothpaste next door in, on the shelf, and that says two dollars and five cents. Okay, we perceive the dollar ninety nine to be a lot cheaper than the two dollars and five cents. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this real, Dwayne in Kenosha? Dwayne, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon. Not only is it real, but it's not new. Back in the 1980s and 90s, I ran a taxi cab company out in Phoenix. And at that time, our closest competitor was $1.25 a mile. When we started, we were 99 cents a mile. Okay. And it, it it took six months or so before people caught on. But I'm happy to say we made quite a bit of money that way. 
Right, because peop- people just perceive, they didn't think of it as, oh, this is only a quarter more expensive. They thought, oh, my gosh, this is dramatically more e- expensive. They're, they're, you've got that dollar that, that's in front of there, whereas the other people are, are just 99 cents. Yeah, it worked for us. In fact, that company is still in business. We started in 1982, and it's still going uh, to this day. Different owners, of course. I'm in Wisconsin, but uh, yeah. we made money. Oh, thanks for calling. No, I mean, I, again, it's it's one of the reasons that okay. So there's this study out that that you know they just came out with this big study saying does it really work? And what they found is that it works, it works best. Um, it what they found is like if you take a jar of peanut butter and you make it two ninety nine, if somebody is just looking at that jar of peanut butter by itself, they tend to round up. They said, okay, this is this is three bucks. However. If they're looking at that jar of peanut butter on a supermarket shelf with other jars of peanut butter, it's a big difference. That two ninety nine versus okay, the the GIF is two ninety nine, the Skippy is is three dollars and five cents. That's where if they're side by side, it makes a huge difference, which is why you see it happening. Um, Bill, Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, how does that oppose to our dollar? dollar store everything's a dollar scene mm-hmm. um i go there because i know i'm getting a good value and i've done some comparisons and um when you buy 19 items it's going to cost you 20 bucks after right. taxes that's the way we're at right that makes sense oh no absolutely no I, I think it's that whole i mean thanks to call it's that whole appeal it's like everything's a dollar and and you 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 know that okay how, how, how much is this yo-yo it's a dollar okay how much is this toilet paper it's a dollar no i think it's i i think it's that appeal and if it and if you ran a store where instead of calling it the dollar store you charged you called it the dollar 10 store you would probably not get as much attraction you know because people would say well my god they're the dollar 10 store instead of the dollar store it's it just to me it's it's just interesting and and funny how our our minds work. Uh, Peter in Delavan. Peter, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, it's not only the you know buck ninety nine versus the two hundred five, but the way it's written, it's written like the buck shouts and the ninety nine is very yeah. quiet. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So right. you you see the you see the one and or the two, and you don't see the pennies. Yep. Right. Right, and so and so you just think of you you just think of that, and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm really getting a deal on this, and, and so you tend to do it. Do you do you think this works? I mean, do you find yourself doing that as well? No, I I I don't. I mean, you know, if the the sign on the gas pump says, well, like just today, one eighty three nine. Right. Well, wait a minute, that's one eighty four. Yeah, exactly. Even though the, even though there's that that nine up there. Right. But it's just like. One eighty-four. Right. Exactly. No, thank you. You're right. You see, you know, and gasoline, that's perhaps the, the best example of this. You know, gasoline, it, it, they never rounded up to the penny. It, you know, gasoline, it, it's not... It's not two dollars a gallon. It's a dollar ninety nine. It's not a dollar ninety cents a gallon. It's a dollar eighty nine, and make and at dollar eighty nine 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 nine, like that point zero one makes a difference. Um, Jeff, I don't do this. But my loving wife does it regularly. I will give you an example of what you're talking about. We bought a used car this weekend for our 18-year-old daughter. The car was $42.99, $4,299. 
We purchased it. But for the rest of the weekend, my wife say, kept saying how we purchased the car for $4,200. She was off $99 and not a penny. It, it, that's it. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you bought it for $4,299. Well, you really bought it for $4,300. As a practical matter, that's what it was. But because it's $4,299, that is exactly what these psychology reports say. Instead of thinking it of being $4,300, which it really is, people are thinking $4,299. Jeff, I work for a soda company. We would sell a small bottle for a dollar ninety a dollar five. We wouldn't sell much. When it was on sale for ninety nine cents, the shelf would be empty. That, that, that's right, because it's like, oh, it, it's it's ninety nine cents and you just don't process the difference between Okay, it's five cents or it's six cents. It's not going to make any difference in your life. Um, yes. Jeff, do you think a 99-cent store would draw more customers? That's good. Maybe that's the business model. We're not going to have the dollar store. We're going to have the 99-cent store. Um, Jeff, uh, no, I don't think so. I'm not fooled at the store. Four cents is four cents, not a dollar and four cents. Well, okay, you've, you've, you've got that there. In any event, I'm going to actually, I'm going to send a, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. This is just such an interesting sort of thing about our psychology. And that's what kind of caught my, my attention. They, they call it just below pricing. Just below whatever that amount is, because we tend to round down. And the the texter who that's the great example. The car is four thousand two hundred ninety nine dollars. It's four thousand three hundred bucks for all intents and purposes. But you know his significant other is going around all weekend saying, "Hey, we got it for forty two hundred bucks." No, you didn't get it for forty two hundred bucks. But you don't think of that, and that's it's not an indictment. It's just kind of what human nature is. I'll, I'll send, and dur- during the break, I'll try to send out a link to this on, on Twitter. Um, but just just beware. I mean, I guess for me, I understand how it works. I, to, to me, that, that nickel's not going to make the difference if it's a product that I know. But I confess, I guess I, I'm guilty of this too. If I'm there and I, I don't I don't know one brand of, of olives from another and I'm just looking across the shelf and I see one is a dollar two and one is 99 cents, my guess is I'm more likely to grab the 99 cent thing even though it's only three pennies and it's not going to make any difference. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Melissa, I, I, a big acquisition delivered this morning, and it's either like really cool or I've become the Clampets. I can't tell. It, it's one, okay. of, one of the two. Okay, <clears throat> so so here's here, here's the deal. And again, like, like I say, it's... I, I, in the back of my mind, it's kind of like I always remember the old Jeff Foxworthy routines about, you know, are you a redneck? And he said, you know, if you've ever watched TV on a television set that works, that's sitting on top of a television set that doesn't work, you might be a redneck. You know, and I, I, <laughs> right. okay, you know, yeah. you know, it's kind of like if you've ever taken a beer to a job interview, mm-hmm. you might be a redneck. Okay, so here, so here's, here is the deal. Um, we have a, we have a, we have a refrigerator at, at our house, and normally, there's not that much stuff in it because my my wife just goes out and you know shops just a day or two ahead of time. However, there will be times, like if we're going to be entertaining or or whatever, where our refrigerator we really need more space. Otherwise, it's all like the stuff is like crammed in mm-hmm, and all. Mm-hmm. And I would like, okay, my my son-in-law, 
He's got a beer refrigerator. He's got a refrigerator in his garage. Oh, a that, beer that's, fridge. That, yeah. that just, it's full of beer. And it's the coolest thing. You just go over there and, <laughs> hey, Darren, you don't have to fool around. I just, you got a beer fridge. Okay, so we were, and, and I complain when on those occasions where the refrigerator is just jam-packed. I, I complain because sometimes the door doesn't shut right. And so and, 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 it, and, it's, and you're like piling through stuff to look for things. So our solution, the other day, Fran said, let's get a second refrigerator. So we just, you know, just, just find a, a relatively inexpensive thing and say, okay, where are we going to put it? Well, we could put it in the basement. I don't know, put it in the basement. So, no, we, we decided we've got, we got a big two-car garage, and we decided we were going to put the refrigerator in the garage. So this morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, the appliance truck rolls up, and the, the two guys get out, and they say, we've got a refrigerator. Where does it go? And I said, we're, we're going to put it right here in the garage. And, of course, they're now happy because they're afraid they're going to have to, like, haul the thing downstairs or whatever. I said, no, yeah. we're going to put it right here in the garage. And it's it's one of these that's, you know, you can you can leave it in a garage. Yeah, there's, there, this, the refrigerators have to be of a certain type if you're going to leave them, like, in an in mm-hmm. a garage and stuff. But so they delivered it this morning. So by 9.05, I now have a working refrigerator in the garage, which I intend to, well, I've got all this beer that's in the regular refrigerator. Uh-huh. I, I think it's, I think. You're just going to move it. That's one of my projects. Yeah. It's, it's going to be kind of like a beer fridge and it's going to have, you know, it, it's just going to be an overflow I love that thing. idea. I know a lot of people that either A, have a separate fridge downstairs for soda, beer, whatever, um, snacks, and then, you know, other people have some out in the garage. I don't think that's unusual at all. So you don't think it's you don't think it's too much of the clamp? No, it's- <laughs> I don't. <laughs> no, not at all. I would definitely not. I would say it's more of a, I mean, I think if you have a lot of goods and, it, and you want something different and, you know, if you have a lot of people over, because I know you guys have a ton of people over well, we all have, the time. we entertain. I yeah. mean, yeah, you entertain. So you want an extra fridge to put... Yeah. Uh, maybe special well, items well, well, for that, that. that. That's right. That, yeah. That's what no, we, I think we, that, we, I totally we have get friends. It. We have friends that drink like obscure stuff. Yeah. Like my friends John and Mary, the only people I know that still drink that, like Mike's Hard Lemonade and stuff. And, <laughs> right. and so you know, it, it, I'll always be looking at like the, so yeah. in case they stop by. We've always got like a six pack oh, of this. I love that. And, mm-hmm. well, well, right. But it's kind of like okay, now that can go into the mm-hmm. beer fridge. So okay, so that's so I'm. I, but I, I was I was sitting there thinking, this is what my life has become. <laughs> I'm now genuinely excited that I've got this, this refrigerator. I think that's, that's exciting. Been no, I, I don't. I think I think you're good. All right, good enough. Okay, so no, no, too not too clampity. All right, that's that's good. You can come on over. You can check out my check out my beer fridge. It works out. Um, also, if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty, I did send a link to that that story we were just talking about. If you ever wonder why stuff is a dollar ninety nine instead of two bucks, there there is science that says. We'll buy it at a dollar ninety nine, but we won't buy it at two dollars. <laughs> go, go figure. I sent out the story behind it. Hey, there was something else I sent out on Twitter. I was relatively active over the weekend, a number of different things, but but one of them that I don't want to let get lost in, in the in just all the, the the smoke and the cloud of politics and stuff. President Trump had a rally on Saturday night. Um, I, I know. I know many of you might have, have attended this. Um, it was Saturday night. It was at the Waukesha County Airport. The original plans were to have that rally at Mitchell. But apparently the story, and I've got a link to this. I, I just I forwarded the, the story that was in the Journal Sentinel. The Mitchell Airport denied the Trump campaign the request to hold the rally out, out there. And interesting, and I'll keep in mind, here's, here's the background. The airport, it's a county airport. 
and the the county executive they have an airport director but ultimately the county exec that airport director reports to the county executive which is David Crowley and apparently they made the decision to to not give a permit to let them have that rally there and they said because okay if we if we had people that came out here it would be in violation of the city of Milwaukee's limit on public gatherings now tony evers statewide order exempts political rallies from that and so and from a first amendment perspective you really can't limit the size of, of political rallies but yet that's sort of the rationale that they used now i bring this up only because to me it is so very very interesting that um, milwaukee county executive david crowley apparently uh, was was behind together with the folks at the airport killing this rally from occurring in in Milwaukee at Mitchell Field because well it would it would bring too many people here we 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 don't want all those people we don't want a mass gathering fine keep in mind though this is the same Milwaukee County executive who sent the letter criticizing Wauwatosa for imposing a curfew on people, remember when, in an effort after the decision made was made not to charge Joseph Mensa, there was concerns about public safety and things like that. Wauwatosa puts a, a curfew in at seven o'clock. All right, and David Crowley very, very vocally condemned Wauwatosa for imposing a curfew on the, the protesters. Well, we shouldn't be limiting their right to protest. So it's interesting. He doesn't like it when Wauwatosa imposes a curfew on protesters gathering in the streets, but he's okay, apparently, with the county preventing Trump supporters from gathering at Mitchell Field. Now, I ask you this. Who was more likely to create a problem? Would it have been the protesters running the streets of Wauwatosa at 1 o'clock in the morning, or would it have been Trump supporters out at Mitchell Field for their rally on Saturday night? And I think the answer is pretty obvious. It's also pretty obvious that you have a county executive who's deep, deep into the political weeds on things like this. And by the way, the the rally, from what I'm told, came off without a hitch in Wauwatosa, in Waukesha, that is, lots of people went out. But it is interesting to me that, all right, you know, Wauwatosa, we're going to condemn them if they put a curfew on to limit the gatherings of protesters, but it's perfectly appropriate to try to limit Trump supporters from gathering. Huh. And you wonder about institutional bias. All right, when we come back, want to talk about the rally, not the Trump rally, but other campaigning that's being done by the vice president. I will explain what the issue is, and we will discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. The election, finally, a week from tomorrow. So we are in the home stretch of this uh, campaign. The the two campaigns for president are, are approaching this in, in very, very different ways. Um, Joe Biden has, and, and I, I don't say this in a snarkily fashion, he, he's, his campaign, the Biden folks feel that he is ahead. They are playing a campaign of let's just kind of finish this this out. Joe Biden does very, very few personal 
appearances. And, you know, they'll do stuff via Zoom, etc. But he's really running the campaign from his living room in, in Delaware. And, and people think that this is an effective strategy, and that's fine. They believe The Biden people believe he's way ahead. They don't believe that he needs to be out holding rallies, etc., etc. And because of concern for spreading COVID-19, as well as the, the, the idea that if, he, if he's not in these public settings, the opportunity for gaffes is reduced. So Biden Biden is running that sort of campaign. It's kind of we're going to run the TV ads. We've got plenty of money, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that's all well and good. President Trump and Vice President Pence are running a different sort of campaign. They're out and about. They're traveling across the country. They're having rallies. We were just talking about the one that was in Waukesha on Saturday. I believe President Trump had three of those. So he's traveling all across the country as is Vice President Pence. He's coming back here. What is it? Tomorrow he's going to be in West Salem. And my guess is he'll probably be back for at least one more. So the, the Trump campaign is out and about. They are running the traditional, the, I would say the more traditional sort of campaign where you go out and, and you have these big events. Part of it is because I think the Trump campaign feels it works for him. And part of it is because I, I think he, he likes it. I mean, that's what he, he likes to do. And third, it it rallies their, their supporters. You know, if, if the election is about turnout, you know, one of the ways to, to generate turnout is to get people enthusiastic. So you, you have... 5,000 people that, that show up at some airport rally and, and, you know, they're excited about this and they leave with yard signs and they leave with a commitment that, you know, they're going to show up to vote if they haven't already and they're going to call five or 10 or 15 of their friends or relatives or whatever and they're going to encourage them to vote if they haven't already. It, it's just, it's a different sort of strategy, but clearly that's the one that President Trump is imposing as is Vice President Pence, who is going around the country and campaigning in person. Uh, a number of people in the vice president's office have have tested positive recently for, you know, COVID. Um, apparently, there's been another COVID outbreak that struck the White House. Uh, vice President Mike Pence's chief of staff and four of his other top aides all tested positive for coronavirus. Right. The vice president thus far, I mean, he's constantly tested, but he he has not tested positive for for coronavirus. Nevertheless, um, people around him have. He's not in a full blown quarantine. He is out campaigning. President Trump is out campaigning, running these different rallies. And even though President Trump has just gotten over and recovered from covid-19, you know, some of the people that attend these rallies, you know, or clearly, I guess it's possible if somebody shows up that's sick, you know, other people around them can get sick. Right before the Trump rally, one of the, the liberal groups put up a big billboard outside of Waukesha saying um, that the rally is going to be a super spreader event or something like that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. Is it irresponsible in the era of coronavirus for a politician to have in-person events. Because I tell you, this is something, now we, we think about the Trump rallies, we think about Mike Pence going out and campaigning, um, but you know, traditionally, when you're running for office, you're, you're knocking on people's doors, you're having coffees, you're, you're going out and you're meeting groups of people. Is it irresponsible to have rallies in the era of COVID-19 where a large group of people 
are going to get together and are going to see the candidate. Should Trump stop this? Should Mike Pence, who has a couple of his you know aides that are now tested positive for COVID-19, should they not be on the campaign trail? Should they be adopting kind of the, the Joe Biden philosophy of we're we're going to we're, we're going to stay we're going to hunker down at our campaign headquarters or in the White House or whatever. Is it irresponsible to have a rally? And if you were one of the people that attended the Trump rally on Saturday night, I guess I'd be particularly interested in your perspective. Did you think there was an unreasonable risk in going? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, to me, it's a political campaign. And to me, if the best way that you have or the most effective way is connecting with your voters and nobody is forced to show up at one of these rallies, you don't put a gun to anybody's head and you let people make the choices, I, I think democracy is important enough that you, you should be able to do it. 855-616-1620, just like you should also be able to decide, you know what, under these circumstances, I don't think I'm going to go. All right. What is it irresponsible to have the rally? We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's not irresponsible. Attendance is not mandatory, correct? And the constant rips on Trump for this fall on deaf ears when all we heard was crickets from the usual suspects when rioting and protesting was happening. That is the interesting irony of this. That, that all right, you know, we, large groups of people marching through the various streets or demonstrating or whatever. Okay, we, we don't hear any conversation about COVID then, but, you know, Trump folks show up at a political rally. Well, then it becomes a big issue. All right, Jeff, of course it's irresponsible. It's what's contributing to the spread. But if you don't feel any risk and you think it's fine to go, then don't put our doctors and nurses at risk by showing up at a hospital when you have the symptoms or when you're really sick. Jeff, if people don't want to go, don't go. The risk is that he could alienate people who think it's irresponsible, but those people were not going to vote for him anyway. 855-616-1620. Let's start with, uh, let's see, Tracy in Wauwatosa. Tracy, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Tracy. Um, So I think people that decide to go to these rallies, I personally don't think they're a great idea, but I can also see why the president's doing it. He's showing people need to live and um, get out there. Um, I think the people that decide to go should, I mean, if they work in healthcare or if they're going home to someone that's older or sick, they shouldn't go. I think, I, I'm hoping the people that are going aren't going to be putting other people at mm-hmm. risk and they're making a wise decision to go. So it's really who they're also living with or uh, working with. Tracy, I am intrigued by something you just said. Let me take you a little off topic for a second, okay? If you said, you know, if somebody lives in, if somebody works in like health care or whatever, they probably should go because, you know, they, they put themselves at risk. Would you say the same thing? Should should somebody who works in health care, the, the nurse, the doctor, whatever, should should they be going out to restaurants? Should they be going out in in spots where they, they might be interacting with other people? Well, here's the thing. At the rally, you have so many people and you're shoulder to shoulder with them. Right. I haven't to many restaurants, um, but when I was, there was a partition and you're spaced apart. Now, I just went grocery shopping. People are trying to stay apart. They're wearing masks, and you're not around someone for 15 minutes. The thing with these rallies is you're shoulder to shoulder and close. And even if you're wearing a mask, it can still get through. So the people that are going 
should be considerate of who they work with or who they live with. And I'm, I'm assuming they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, no. it's hard to say. But, yeah, it is risky. But I can see why the president is doing it. Because yeah. you have to live. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you. It is that balance. I mean, I, as a matter of fact, that's a very good distinction you make. I mean, like I say, I, I'm trying to find, in my personal life, I'm trying to find that that balance between not being irresponsible, but at the same time, you know, having having some sense of normal. I, I'm not cowering in in the basement, but but yet, you're you're exactly right. Do I do I think it's a good idea to be standing, even if you're outside, for three or four hours, you know, surrounded by you know five thousand people? Uh, no. Will on Thursday night? Will I be going to my grandson's final football freshman football game of the year? Yeah, but I'm going to be sitting with my wife and my stepdaughter and my son-in-law. And they'll, you know, and these are people that are in my social circle, and, and we're going to be kind of in our own little area on a, on a bench, on bleachers in a high school, separated from from other people. So it's that balancing act that works. This is Jeff Wagner.